This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Good morning. I'm so glad to celebrate with you today as we continue to engage with God. If you're new with us today, my name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at New Life, and I'm going to guide us through our time together for the rest of the morning. And before we jump into the message, I want to take a moment, and I just I want to I want to pause, I want to thank, and I want to pray for uh, our military families in the church and our military troops in the church. So uh, if you're here today and you have ever served or are currently serving in a branch of the military, or if you are an immediate family member, a son, a daughter, a spouse, a parent of a military member, would you stand so we can thank you and we can recognize you together this morning? And I want, I want, I'd like you to remain standing. I'd like you to remain standing. I, I want to pray. I want to pray a blessing over you today. So would you join me as we pray together? Lord Jesus, what a gift it is to have so many men and women who give so much uh, to, to open the door for us to have freedom. Freedom in every area of our lives, including the freedom to come into this place and worship you without fear of persecution, without fear of of what might happen to us or our children as we come into your presence. Lord, what a gift they are. I pray today, and I pray over these next two days, that as we we celebrate and we enjoy time off, we have fun, I pray that you would help us to pause and remember and be thankful, thankful for the men and women who have given so much uh, so that we can experience so much. And as we, as we celebrate and thank them, Lord, we celebrate and we thank you who is the giver of ultimate freedom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. Well, go ahead, and if you would, to get us started, why don't you pull out your Connect card. It's that card that says Start Here. It's inside your program. And just put your name and your email address on there. There's a bunch of stuff we're going to do with this throughout the morning, so you're going to want to have it handy because as the service wraps up, uh, things start going pretty quick. So you don't want to have to take the time to do that later. So fill that out now. We'll be using it later on this morning. And then inside your programs are some teaching notes. We're going to go through a story in the Bible today that I'm so excited about. And all of the Bible verses we're going to be using, the scripture is on those notes. There are some fill-in-the-blanks. We try to give you some space where you can write down your thoughts and questions and things you agree with, things you don't agree with. Uh, You have a little space today because I had a lot to say. So you know what? You can just cross things out if you don't like what I have to say and write in your own notes. That would be okay. What I want to do today is not have you just ingest and digest everything I say. What I want you to do today is take this and chew on it and think about it and ask God what he wants to do in your life through the things that we hear today. Because we believe that what God wants to speak to us today is truth, but truth doesn't do anything unless we take it and apply it to our lives. And so I'm hoping that today we we hear from God and then it changes the way that we go about our week this week. Well, if you're brand new with us, or if you missed a few weeks, I want to catch you up to speed. We're in a series that we're calling Affluenza, and Affluenza is asking this question, what would it look like in our lives, in our families, in our church, if we were financially healthy? Because what we notice as we look around us is that there is a money sickness in our community, in our culture, in our society. And, and you can see the symptoms of this money sickness all around. Symptoms like stress about money, anxiety around money, uh, hopelessness when it comes to our finances, things like debt. That's a huge indicator that you might be suffering from this money sickness, this affluenza. Things like 
fighting in your marriage about money and, and, um, and things like just feeling hopeless all the time, where, where you just, you can't seem to get any traction. Those are symptoms of affluenza. And so what we wanted to do in this series is just kind of get to the core of what causes this money sickness and then talk about what it would look like to be free in our lives. And we started off week one by saying, you know what, this isn't ultimately a money issue. It, it's, it's a trust issue that has money as its kind of, its fingers that come out from it, symptoms that come out from it, because we said this, finances and money and God, they both promise us that they can meet the same soul cravings that we have. Each of us has these cravings inside of us. We long for, we long for security. Uh, we long to have a purpose in life. Uh, we long for, for joy and hope. We, we long to make a difference. And money promises that if we have enough of it, we will find joy We'll find security, we'll find hope, we'll, we'll find a purpose, we will have fun. And God promises us that if we find Him, He'll provide us with joy and purpose and security, and, and He'll give us a meaning in life. And here's the thing we had to decide on week one. Are we going to trust money or are we going to trust God? And I, I challenged us that the thing about money is it can never fully and finally satisfy us. Money, it's kind of like a leprechaun chasing after the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. As soon as a leprechaun thinks he's got to the end of the rainbow, the rainbow moves just a little further away. And that's what money does. It says, if you get enough of me, some magic number that we all kind of have in our heads is that would be enough. If you get there, then you'll feel comfortable, secure, okay. And then we get there and we realize no, I still need a little more. I still need a little more. I still need a little more. And we're never content. So I asked us this question, why would we put our trust in riches when we have a God who richly provides? And I asked us to make this commitment in week one. And it's your first fill in the blank note. Say, I will not place my trust in riches, but in him, in God, who richly provides. It's a paradigm shift for us because, because, because riches promise the same thing that that God promises. And so we had to decide in the very beginning, where is my trust? Where is my hope? And we're going to circle back to that topic again today. And then in week two, we started talking about God's economy. What would it look like to live healthy lives according to God's plan, God's purpose, and God's design for us? And we said this, God's economy is not normal, it's healthy. Remember, I talked about the fact that we have all had times in our life where we did something that seemed normal in the moment, but we look back and it wasn't healthy. Maybe it was a relationship you had in college and you thought, you know, throwing dishes was normal and, and fighting and yelling and screaming was normal, but you look back and you realize that was normal, but that wasn't healthy. I told you about my diet, my senior year of college. Every morning I woke up, had two cinnamon brown sugar Pop-Tarts, slammed a Mountain Dew, and smoked a menthol cigarette. That was breakfast five days a week. That was normal for me for an entire year of my life. But looking back, it was not healthy. And so we zoomed way out in the Bible, and we said, okay, God, we don't want to be normal. We want to be healthy. What would it look like to be healthy? And for these three weeks after that, we've been talking specifically about what healthy financial lives look like. And last week we said healthy financial lives start by being debt-free because God tells us in his word through one of the wisest men who ever lived, a guy named Solomon, that the, the borrower is a slave to the lender. And so if we're borrowing, if we're in debt, we're actually in slavery, but God wants us to be free. We said that debt gives us the illusion of control, but God doesn't want the illusion of control. He wants us to have control. And today what we're going to talk about is what I believe the key thing that can keep our eyes focused on God, can keep our trust focused on God, because our trust has a way of drifting back to money which is why you've probably had seasons in life where you have gotten your finances under control. You've been healthy, but maybe six months or a year or five years later, you find yourself suffering from symptoms of affluenza again. 
it's cyclical. You find yourself back in affluenza season, and it's usually around Christmas or birthdays or, or vacations. And you wonder, how did I slide back into this money sickness? Well, it could be that your hope has just subtly drifted away from God and drifted back to money. So what I want to talk about today is what I believe probably the key vaccination that could be the lifetime vaccination to keep us financially healthy, to keep our trust focused on God and off of money, which can never fully and finally satisfy. And I want to do it by looking at this great story in the Old Testament. And I just, I love this story. If, if you don't read the Bible, you're going to hear this and you're going to think, did that really happen? Yes, it really happened. You should read the book. It's a, it's a good book. There's a lot of really cool stuff in it. Uh, it's about this prophet in the Old Testament in the book of First Kings, this prophet named Elijah. And if you're new to the Bible, a prophet was someone who spoke on behalf of God. They gave their life. They, their vocation was to speak on God's behalf. And in First Kings chapter 17, we've got Elijah, and he's speaking on God's behalf to a king named Ahab and his wife Jezebel. And Ahab and Jezebel have led the people away from the God of the Bible to start to work Worship and serve this God called Baal. And Baal, among other things, was the God that provided rain, provided water for the, for the crops. And so God says to Elijah, Elijah, tell King Ahab that because he's led the people to worship this false God who they believe can bring rain for their crops, tell them that I will withhold the rain from their crops for three and a half years, and then they'll see that I'm the true God who can, who can really provide rain. So Elijah goes to Ahab and Jezebel. He tells them this, and Needless to say, they are not overly happy about this choice. And so um, Elijah goes into hiding. He hides by this brook in this stream, and he's up there because they want to kill him. And he's getting water from this brook. And this is where the story is really interesting. It doesn't rain for three and a half years, but over the course of the time, he's getting water from this little tiny brook. And ravens, crows, crows are coming every morning and every night, and they're bringing him meat, and they're bringing him bread it's crazy, right? Meat and bread from crows. We know crows are smart. They can like open bags and things and drop seeds, but these were like super crows. These were like Holy Spirit empowered crows, okay? They were, they were, wow. They were bringing him bread and meat every morning and every night. I would like that. That would be a fantastic way to go about life. Well, over time, the brook dries up and Elijah needs a new plan because even though meat and bread are good, he needs water. And this is where we're going to pick up the story in 1 Kings chapter 17. Elijah starts to pray to God and says, God, what should I do? And and it says this in in verse 8, The word of the Lord came to him, Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. God says, I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath, and when he came to the town gate, the widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I might have a drink? And as she was going to get it, he called out, Oh, and, and, and please bring me a piece of bread. And this is where the story gets interesting. She turns around, and she looks at him, and she says, As surely as, as your God lives, I don't have any bread. I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour that's in the jar and a little olive oil in a jug. She goes on to say, In fact, I'm currently gathering a few sticks to go home and make a meal for myself and my son so that we might eat it and die. So they're in the midst of a severe drought, and this drought has led to no water for the crops, which has led to a pretty severe famine. And as is generally the case, single mothers are, are affected most severely by difficult economic times. 
And the city that she's living in has multiple gods, but somehow she recognizes something different about Elijah because when he comes to talk to her, she realizes you work, you serve in the name of your God, the God of the Bible, the God. And he says to her, would you in the name of my God, would you practice generosity towards me by giving me some bread to eat and some water to drink? She turns around and I just, I imagine in her, in her eyes, there's, there's hopelessness. As she says to him, I don't have any bread. In fact, all I've got is just a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil. And I'm going to go home and make a little bit of bread for my son and myself, and we're going to eat it. And we have no plan after that. I'm going to hold him in my hands, hold him in my arms while he slowly starves to death, and then I starve to death. In that moment, I can't imagine how this woman felt. I've got two kids. I, I can't imagine knowing that I don't have enough food for them, that they'd eat one last meal and then they would slowly die. I, I can't even imagine how hopeless she must have felt. But here's what I can tell you about the woman. This woman in this story, at this point, has placed her hope and placed her trust on her money and her ability to acquire food. Her trust has gone squarely onto what she can do, how she can provide, what she can take care of for herself and her son. And in this moment, when she runs out of bread, her trust and her hope that has been in her money, has been in her stuff, has failed her. And she's incredibly hopeless. And this is the point in the story where if you and I were talking to this woman, we would say, I am so sorry. I am so sorry I even asked. Please forgive me. We'd say, how can I pray for you? You know, if we were like extra spiritual, we'd say, how can I pray for you? And then we'd go home and maybe forget about it. But if we really meant it, we'd actually pray for her on the spot. Let me pray for you right here. What can I give you? What can I do for you? You know, I've got half a stick of gum and and, and a quarter. You know, what can I do? What can I do? Notice what Elijah does, though. Verse 13, it says, Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first, go home and make the bread for your son, but first, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and and bring it to me. And then, after you've made bread for me, and then make something for yourself and for your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, the jar of flour will not be used up, the jug of oil will not run dry until the day that the Lord sends rain on the land." She has a choice to make at this moment. She's got a little flour and a little oil. She has to decide, am I going to make some bread and practice generosity to this prophet in the name of his God? Or am I going to go make bread for myself and eat it with my son and die? And at this point, when it becomes that extreme, you kind of think, well, I'll throw down all my money on black, right? I mean, it's like the bread thing hasn't worked for me so far. I might as well try your God. And that's what she does. She went away and she did what Elijah told her. And when she did that, verse 15 says, there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and for her family. And the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word that the Lord had spoken to her. And I just, I, I, I can't, I can't even put into words what the scene must have looked like at that time. And I just want us to try to use our imaginations. She's just told this prophet of God, I'm going to make bread and I'm going to die. And he says, okay, go home and do what you said you're going to do. Make that bread. But first, before you do that, give bread to me. This is the point where you and I look at Elijah and we say, you are a jerk. 
you are a health and wellness prosperity gospel preacher that says, send me your money and God will bless you. You are horrible. Who does that? Who says to someone on welfare, hey, give me your welfare check. Who says to someone with their last food stamp, hey, uh, I know you're at the end, but let's divvy up that food stamp. I'll take some and you can have whatever's left over. Who, who does that? What a jerk Elijah is. But here's the deal about Elijah. He knew something about God that, that we oftentimes forget. Because remember, just before he went into the city, Elijah was being fed by ravens, birds, Holy Spirit, God-empowered crows bringing him meat to eat. I don't even know what that looked like, okay? Bringing him meat to eat, but it worked, and bread to eat. He knew something. He knew that God is good. So he called this woman to generosity because he knew God is good. At his core, God is good. And he knew that generosity would move this woman's trust away from her circumstances and over to God. Because he knew about her what God knows about us, which is our, our trust has a way of sliding back to our, our resources, our money, our stuff, our, our food, what we can provide for. And he knew that at this moment, this woman's trust was squarely on her, on her bread. And he wanted her trust to be back onto God. And because of her generosity, did you notice what happened? First off, she had food, and her son had food throughout the entire drought. The bread never ran out. The oil never went dry. God took care of her so that she would know, you can trust me. See, God oftentimes uses our generosity to remind us that when we can place our trust in him, he uses our generosity to remind us, you can trust me. Be generous because it moves your attention back to me and you can trust me. See, generosity, it moves our trust from riches, which are so uncertain, to a God who will certainly provide. And so he says to her, transfer your trust from this bread, which is running out, to a God who has infinite resources by practicing generosity. Jesus, who who walked on this earth, who is God in the flesh, he put it this way. He said, where your treasure is, your trust has a way of following. Where your treasure goes, your trust has a way of following your treasure. That's why when, when you buy a new car, your, your money's gone to your car, and what? You, you, you dust that car, you wax that car, you look out the window to make sure no one's stolen that car, you, you park way far away, and you say it's just to get exercise, but it's not. It's for that car, because, because you love that car. I got a car recently. I know the feeling. It's like the kids want Cheerios because you're not going to starve on a one-hour drive. No Cheerios in the car. And listen, there's nothing wrong with a car. There's nothing wrong with a car. But if, if all of our money goes into our stuff, then all of our hope will follow. If all of our money goes into our, our stuff, then all of our hope will follow. And he says, be generous towards God so that at least your hope will follow, will follow suit. Because of the woman's generosity, her trust migrated to God. And because of the woman's generosity, Elijah was taken care, ter, taken care of. God used this woman's generosity to provide for the ministry that he was doing through Elijah. God chooses to use our generosity to bless his ministry. That's how God does it. He could use any means necessary 
to move his ministry forward, but he chooses to use our generosity to bless his ministry. This is the theme throughout the Bible that God chooses, and it blows my mind. I want you to think about this for a second. Just zoom out. Pretend you're not at church. Pretend we don't have offering later. Just, just zoom out for a second. Just zoom out. Doesn't it blow your mind that God, who created the world, who created everything in it, who holds it all together, that God chooses to use us and our generosity, our, our, our limited resources to move his ministry forward in the world? That blows my mind. That, that humbles me. That's incredible that God actually says, I'm going to change people's life on earth and I'm going to change their eternity when you practice generosity. I'm going to use whatever you bring to do life-changing work, to change the landscape of heaven forever because of your generosity. I, I love it. I love being part of this church. And you guys, I want to share with you a few things that I see God doing in our church right now that are incredible because of your generosity. Because I get to zoom out and hear stories and, and see life change and, and watch transformation. It's incredible to see. God chooses to use us, our generosity, to move his ministry forward. What an incredible thing that is. On June the 8th, we're going to have a Vision Sunday, and I can't wait. I'm going to share at all three services about the continued vision. Same mission, continued vision, our next steps as a church. And as part of that Vision Sunday, we're going to have a baptism celebration. And baptisms are when people come up on stage, and we take them underwater, symbolizing that they're dying to an old way of living, and we bring them out of the water, symbolizing that they're being raised to new life. And it's about a picture of lives that are being transformed. And uh, we have a video of someone who got baptized at our last baptism celebration. I want to show it to you because this is a story of life change. Take a look up at the screens. Woke up one day, Sacramento County Jail, fighting a, fighting a uh, possible life sentence for the drug habit that I had. And I prayed in there. I didn't know who I was praying to. I didn't have no faith, but guys were doing it in there. And the, the jailhouse preacher was telling me to pray. I didn't even know if I was saved. I didn't know. The change came over me when I missed my son's baptism. In our divorce, our separation, the divorce to be, my son was baptized, my wife was baptized, and, and I wasn't able to be there. And I thought, and I felt that I missed out. I really missed out on an opportunity to be closer to my family and to see the relationship that those two have built through God. I wanted it. Something told me that that I need something to be in, especially with my son. I needed to do something that it would bind us together and, and make us feel as one. And, and baptism. And it wasn't something that I thought about. All of a sudden it hit me. Something hit me that here's a way for you to grow closer to your family. I can honestly say, I don't know when it happened, but I can honestly say that I felt the Holy Spirit pick me up and hold me and tell me that let me take it from here and you can go finish well and that's what I hold on to every day right now is that I can finish well now part of that? 
We get to be part of that. God says, I'm not going to use crows to make that happen. I'm going to use your generosity to make that happen. I heard a, a leadership seminar recently by a pastor and author and a leader named Bill Hybels. And over and over again, this is what he says. He says, the local church is the hope of the world. The local church is the hope of the world because it's the only place where Jesus can transform lives. The local church is the hope of the world. And I'm seeing this over and over again. Marriage is being restored. That marriage, they were separated. God brought them back together. Marriage is being restored. I see in this church friendships being reconciled as people practice forgiveness. I, I see finances being fixed. I, I hear stories about tens of thousands of dollars. One guy said $162,000 he got out of debt by following after Jesus and his way to to live. I see people finding their purpose. I watch you volunteer in ministry, and I see God giving you a, a holy purpose in life. I see addictions broken. It's incredible. I see, I see community compassion unleashed through things like our, our, our Fifth Tuesday food pantry, where we're just going out and we're serving through loaves and fishes ministry, where we're, we're giving people options to have some food so they don't have to make a choice. Either don't pay my rent or don't give my kids a meal. We have Fifth Tuesday compassion being unleashed in our community. We have loaves and fishes, compassion being unleashed. We have global ministry happening through the local church, houses being built, orphans being visited and loved and hugged, some for the first time. Pastors being trained. I got to go to India and train pastors who are being sent out all over southern India. I see churches being built. New Life has built two churches in India. One of them we built before we even had a place to call our own. I see I see educators being trained locally and globally. I see students being taught. I see churches being planted. We're part of a church plant in Santa Rosa, funding it and leading it called Living Roots, and God's doing great stuff through them. This is all happening through the local church. I love our ministry that we have in India where 30 churches have been planted. An orphanage is happening. A school is happening. Bibles uh, are being given out. Pastors are being trained. How? Through your generosity. God chooses to fund his ministry through your generosity. On, on Father's Day, the founder of the India Mission is going to be here at New Life, and I'm going to have him share a little bit of his story. What an incredible opportunity that we are impacting people literally on the other side of the world, and God doesn't use crows to do it anymore. He uses his people to change eternity, to change lives. It, it blows my mind. It blows my mind. I think it's the greatest gift. That's why I'll stand up here every single Sunday and say, give generously. Give till you feel it. Give till it hurts because God is using you. He's moving your trust towards him through generosity and he's funding his ministry and his mission in the world through generosity. It's an incredible thing. There's no greater thing to give your money to than the gospel of Jesus Christ that's being shared in our community. And as we wrap our time up together, I just want to give you a few specifics on generosity. Because there's normal generosity, uh, which is roughly in our country, if you make about $50,000 a year, generally you give about 6%. That's normal generosity. Nothing wrong with that. That's normal. That's the average in our country. But I want to talk about God-honoring generosity, which is not normal, but according to God, it's healthy. We have to ask ourselves, do I want to be normal? Do I want to be healthy? God thinks we can do better than that. In, in um, Proverbs chapter 3, Solomon, who was, remember, the wisest man who ever lived, we talked about him last week, he said, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crop. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing. Your vats will brim over with new wine. The first thing he says, honor God, honor God with your wealth. If you're, you're taking notes, you could say this. We should give generously to things that glorify God. 
That's what we should give generously to. There are great causes in the world, but there are very few that are glorifying God by, by meeting needs and sharing the good news of Jesus. And that's what I mean by glorifying God. Not simply meeting needs, not simply sharing the good news, but meeting needs and sharing the good news of Jesus. And different churches will say different things about how you should give, where you should give. Should it all be to the church? Should it be split up between the church and other places? I'm not so concerned about where you give as long as your giving is glorifying to God. As long as your giving is glorifying to God. And I will say this. Generally speaking, throughout church history, people have given to the place where God's changing their life and they see God working. Generally speaking, that's the local church. Generally speaking, a good amount of our giving should be to the local church, but, but I'm more concerned with generosity towards God than I am with generosity towards God through new life. I obviously believe new life is an incredible place, but I want us to be a generous people. Solomon says, give the first fruits. Give the first fruits. Uh, that's an agricultural term. Uh, they would harvest their crop in sections, and he says the first section needs to go to God. We could translate it this way. Before we do anything else, we should give to God. Before we do our bills, before we pay off our debt, before we plan a vacation, give to God. Because where our money goes, our trust follows. Where our, our money goes, our hope follows. And he says, I want your trust to be on me and not to drift back to money or you'll find yourself suffering from affluenza. Sometimes people ask me, well, how much should I give? How much? Like 20 bucks? Pretty good sermon? 30 bucks maybe? 50? What, 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 I mean, what can I get by with? Right? What's the minimum entrance fee to heaven? Like, the entrance fee to heaven is the cross money doesn't do it. Money doesn't do it. And yet God gives us principles and generosity. He doesn't talk about amounts. He talks about percentages. Generally speaking, uh, when we look at the Bible, when we survey the Bible, average household, 50,000 a year, 6%. God says this. When he talks about giving, he says a good starting place is 10%. 10% of your income. It's called the tithe. It's the first fruit. It's the principle that the first 10% that comes in before we pay taxes on it, before we pay debt with it, before we pay tuition with it, it goes to God because it honors him and it moves our trust away from money and moves it over to him. And because it opens the door for God to use us to change lives, to use us to change lives. Notice how Solomon ends that in verse 10. Your barns will be filled to overflowing. Your vats will brim over with new wine. He says, as we practice generosity, we will see God provide in our lives. And God will use us to provide for the lives of others. What an incredible thing we can do with our money. Do you know the average churchgoer uh, in churches across America, 3.9% of churchgoing Christians actually tithe, 3.9%. That means 96% of Christians who come to church every day who, who have a relationship with Jesus, they are, they are ransoming their money from what God wants to do in his kingdom. Imagine what would happen if we weren't ransoming our money from God, but trusting God and giving generously to him. Imagine what he would do in us and through us. And I want to call us, church, to be, to be that type of church. Let's beat the odds. What if we were the one church where 60, 70, 80% of us tithed? What would, what would, what, 100, I like that. Up front, teacher's pets, love it. <laughs> I like it. What would it look like? What would it look like? What would God do? How would he move? What, what, what could we resource? What, just, just imagine how many lives would be changed. Already, I guarantee, when you get into heaven, you're going to look around and you're going to meet people from all over the world who say, I'm here because you funded something through your church 
that opened the door for me to hear the good news of Jesus, and that's why I'm here. I want that to be tens of thousands of people that you meet in heaven who say that. What an incredible thing. Finances and generosity was this woman's on-road to giving her life to Jesus. She found out she could trust him with her money, and when she found out she could trust him with her money, she began to trust him with everything else. And if you're here today, and, and you've never said yes to Jesus, this sermon might be your on-road. Because I can tell you from experience, and I can tell you from years of pastoral ministry, that when we surrender our finances to Jesus and practice generosity in our finances, the other pieces tend to fall into place. We see I can trust you with this, which is where my hope has rested. If I can trust you with my finances, I can trust you with my life. So I want to call us church to be generous. And I want to invite you, if you're here today and you've never said yes to Jesus, it starts by entering into a relationship with him. You'll never trust someone you don't have a relationship with. And God says, I want you to have a relationship with me. So God went first. We're told that when we were still enemies of God, separated from God because of our sin, Jesus left heaven and came to earth, and he gave his life on a cross so that we could have our sins forgiven. He took the penalty for our sin upon himself so that we could be made right before God, so we could be made clean before God, so that we could be forgiven before God, and so we could be invited into God's family. More than anything else, I want you to know Jesus. It's the most life-changing thing you'll ever do to say yes to him and to follow him. It's the journey of a lifetime. It's, uh, it's incredible. It's not always easy, but I can tell you it's always right. Who wants an easy life anyway? We want a right life. We want a good life. We want a life of purpose. If you're ready to say yes to him, we're going to pray in just a second, and I'm going to give you a chance to respond to him. I'll say a prayer partway through uh, the time I'm praying for us, and I'll invite you to repeat that prayer after me. It's just a prayer of commitment where you would say yes to God. So if you're ready to commit your life to him, to start that journey with him, you can whisper that prayer where you're sitting when the time comes. Would you join me? Let's pray together. Jesus, we want to be a community that has our trust fully and finally placed in you. Would you help our finances and our generosity to to move towards you so that our hope and our trust and our hearts can follow? Would you give us the courage to take that first step, Jesus, to obey you, to follow you where you lead, and then to watch you work in the midst of our obedience? Holy Spirit, would you do that? And would you continue to, um, to help us to live out the dream that Ron had for our church when he planted it 17 years ago, that we would be an outrageously generous community, that we would be marked by our generosity, and that the world would see our generosity and they would know that you were real because we look different than everybody else. God, would you help us to do that? As we continue to pray, if you're here this morning and you've never said yes to Jesus, you've never entered into a personal relationship with him, this is your time. This is your time. Join the family of God. God is inviting you into his family. He wants to forgive you of your sin. He wants to heal your past hurt. He wants to give you a purpose for living. He wants to give you an eternity sealed in heaven. And it starts as you commit yourself to him, and then it continues as you walk with him through this life. If you're ready to say yes to him, you can repeat this simple prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, today I say yes. Yes, I want this life that you're offering me. Yes, I want you. So Jesus, would you come into my life? Would you forgive me of my sin? Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? And would you show me what it looks like to walk every day from this day forward into eternity? And I pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.